Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, here we are gathering online again as we uh, continue our series, Lions, a study about Daniel and uh, the wonderful book that it is. You know, as uh, this crisis has uh, continued to go on now and we're starting to feel uh, lasting effects or, or building effects from this, uh, there's a word that has been coming up beyond the virus and, and the dangers of it and how we're praying for people and we're concerned for people and we're seeking to protect people. But there's another concern building and, and it keeps being uh, uh, spoken about as I talk to different organizations and, and even small companies, self-employed guys and, and, and people have their own little businesses. Uh, here it is. Will I be ruined through this? It, will this ruin me? Will this... Will I ever bounce back from this? I mean, there's going to be some lasting ramifications. And many of, us, many of us are very competent people. And we understand that there are consequences for companies, businesses, organizations that, that may bring about ramifications that are very difficult to rebuild from. Ruined. The word means reduced to a state of decay, collapse, or even disintegration having been irreparably damaged or harmed. You know, I remember being in kindergarten. I don't have a lot of memories from it, but I remember something specific about kindergarten, and here's what it is. Building blocks. I love to build blocks. And, and so I get out the blocks with my buddies, and we'd start building. And, and you know, the goal wasn't to just build. It was to make it as tall as possible. So we'd just be building and building and, and getting our structure. Oh, and, and maybe sometimes getting a firm foundation and building higher. No, that, I want to go higher. And we'd always go higher, and, but, but we were nervous that the girls would come and knock our structure over. And so we'd be building and we'd be doing that. And, and you, know, you know how this goes. At some point, it was, it was inevitable. Somebody's going to knock it down. And the phrase, oh, you ruined it, would be said. Don't worry, we got them back. We went over to their little, their little tyke's kitchen and we smashed up their dishes. Ruined. I think a lot of people are struggling with the fear that this shutdown, this break, could ruin could ruin their business, could ruin their company, could ruin their job, could ruin their savings account, could ruin their spring. I know kids, my spring's been ruined. Graduation celebrations, visiting elderly that are not doing well and need the company, but they can't get there. I'm afraid we're going to be ruined. How do we walk through that? How do, we, how do we put these pieces back together? You know, as we continue in our series, Lions, we've remarked that in Scripture, there's two lions metaphorically. One is a prowling lion seeking someone that they can destroy, that they can ruin there's another line, the line of Judah, our heavenly father, who roars for his children, protects those who seek refuge from him. What are you going to listen to 
during this time that maybe even you're fearful you're going to be ruined. You're going to listen to the roar of fear or the roar of faith. I pray as we continue our study in Daniel that you'll listen to the roar of faith. It was chapter 1 where we saw Daniel as a young man saying, I will not eat the king's food. He purposed in his heart to not be disloyal to God. He showed conviction amid conformity when everybody was doing it. He stood tall. In Daniel chapter 2, the king had a dream. It terrified him and no one was able, no one at all, to interpret it. But God used Daniel and his prudence and, and not reacting hastily or even disrespectfully amidst all the threats that he would even be killed. God used it. And he showed prudence amid the panic. And I've noticed after each chapter, we notice Daniel gets promoted even higher. It's as if when he passes these tests, God uses it to exalt him. It was Daniel chapter 3 last week, though. We saw trust amid testing. A golden image was built high into the sky. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told they must bow, and they would not. Even if you throw us in the fiery furnace, we believe God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to an image made of gold. Nebuchadnezzar threw him in the fire. But there was a fourth one in the flame. They passed the test. What the enemy meant for harm, God used for good. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, guess what? Were promoted. But this week we jump into chapter 4. And the main character this week is Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar has his pride confronted by God. Have you ever heard the phrase, pride comes before the fall as kids we would build those towers and we'd say look how big my tower was and before you know it yeah you guessed it it was knocked down today we're going to have an illustration before us of how pride led to a fall but you know what also we get we get a beautiful illustration of how God can take broken pieces knocked down buildings and restore them again. I think this is going to bless you as we look at Nebuchadnezzar's life and in the last few minutes I'm going to give you six things that might be preventive measures you can take to avoid a prideful fall in your life. Would you pray with me as we launch into Daniel chapter 4 reason, reason amid ruin. Heavenly Father, use this text today to bless everyone listening, watching your work. Put aside the messenger and speak clearly through your scripture as we open this wonderful book of Daniel. And look at chapter 4, reason amid the ruins. And I pray it encourages somebody out there today who might be fearful that their life will be ruined by this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as we jump into this book, I want to give you a little heads up on just a structural note. All right? Chapter 4 sets itself up a little differently than the rest of the book. It's an odd construction that begins with Nebuchadnezzar making a decree. 
It's kind of like if you ever watch a movie and you see like how it ends and then they go back and tell the story. That's how chapter four sets up. Nebuchadnezzar launches into this, this chapter saying this, watch this. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages. We get this decree, right, to, to go uh, in the beginning here. That dwell on the earth. Everyone listen up. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God, not one of his Babylonian gods, the most high God has done, look, for me. Nebuchadnezzar begins chapter 4 by praising God. He says this, how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders, basically his, his miracles. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Where did this King Nebuchadnezzar come from? What's happened to our panicking, freaking out, yelling, threatening everybody's life, King? He seems stable. He seems organized in thought. He's demonstrating humility. He's worshiping the Most High God. How did he get here? And that's exactly what the Hebrew author that, that penned this wanted you to think through. He, he wanted you to process this and say, hmm, how did he get here? And so in Daniel's book, we see this what brought him there, and, and it began with one of these. Have you ever had one of these? Um, a nightmare? Oh, they're awful, aren't they? Nightmares are terrible. You wake up and you're like, <gasps> have you ever been falling in a nightmare? I mean, I tell you what, I've got some dreams that I don't like, and one is, it's Sunday morning, I'm not prepared to speak, I can't find my Bible, I can't find my notes, and everybody's sitting in the auditorium, and the, the, there's a pastor upstage kind of stalling for me, and I'm driving to the church still. It, it just happens from time to time, and I wake up and I go, what? I like would never do that. But it kind of scares me each time. Hey kids, sometimes you've had some nightmares where it seems so real, and it probably stemmed from something you're scared about, and it pops up in your dreams, like maybe a, maybe a movie you probably shouldn't have watched, um, but you know what? Parents have nightmares too, and, and sometimes it's about the future, and, and they're afraid of things that could happen as well. Nebuchadnezzar had himself a nightmare, and he's going to share with us what he saw. He says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. The word prospering can have the connotation of flourishing. Uh, he had these hanging gardens of Babylon that were beautiful. And, and from what history says outside of Scripture, he seemed to be really proud of these hanging gardens. And it, it just seems like he's kind of maybe looking at that. And he says, and I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in my bed, the fancies and the visions of my head, they alarmed me. So I made a decree. Okay, that's the Nebuchadnezzar we know. Make a degree. That all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Get the wise men in here. I'm going to make a decree. And so you're thinking, right? Okay, go get Daniel. He's learned. Go get Daniel. But watch this. It says this. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in and told them the dream. But they could not make known to me the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar. 
where's Daniel? Why did you go to these guys and ask them what it means? They've let you down all the time, and you keep going back to them? I got a verse for you. Proverbs 13, 20, it says this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools suffers harm. Can I ask you a question? Young person, who do you roll with? College student, who do you discuss your worldviews with? In the workplace, dad, mom, who do you converse with the most? Hear this. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools is going to suffer harm. Nebuchadnezzar was surrounded by fools. But fortunately, there was someone who was wise. Scripture continues, at last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar. Talks about his Hebrew name as well as his Babylonian name. It seems as if Nebuchadnezzar even is still showing respect to Daniel's God. He was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream and I said this to him. O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians. Look how, look how Daniel has been promoted now where Nebuchadnezzar is calling him chief. Because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Come on, Daniel, I gotta know. It is believed, scholars believe, 20 years have some passed. Nebuchadnezzar reigned for about 47 years, so many believe this was towards the, towards the end of that time period. It's drawing towards a close, and, and Daniel's now pretty advanced in age. It might be 40, even maybe 50 years old at this time, and he's become now the chief of the magicians, and, and Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he's saying, tell me. Here's the nightmare. You ready? Okay, here it is. The visions of my head. As I lay in my bed were these. I saw and behold. That's an, that's, scripture has a lot of beholds. Beholds are like, oh my word. If you ever read the book of Revelation, a lot of beholds, okay? And so, because this is also what's called a prophetic oracle, you're going to hear prophetic language and, and poetry as Nebuchadnezzar speaks. And behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew, and it became strong, and its top reached all the way into the heavens, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. The whole earth could see this tree. It was massive. Its leaves were beautiful. Wow. And its fruit abundant. Oh, it's life-sustaining. And in it was food for all. Nebuchadnezzar, where's the nightmare? This is great. The beast of the field, he continued, found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Wow. Again, Nebuchadnezzar, this is a great, great dream. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed, and behold, a watcher, Okay, all right, this is starting to get a little scary. A holy one came down from heaven. Many believe he was probably referring to the fact that he saw an angel in his dream. And he proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. 
Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. What? What's going on? Continues. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth. Bound it with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of the heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. What's going on here? This tree is getting personified. The tree has turned into a he. What's going on? Okay, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm, I'm kind of I'm with you now. This is getting creepy. And, and then it continues. The watcher yells out this. Let his mind be changed from a man's. The connotation here underneath the translation is let him go insane and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him seven periods of time um um what's that well seven in scripture is often a time of god's perfect judgment we see a lot of sevens even in the book of revelation so seven weeks i don't know seven days seven months it seems like it could be even seven years because because it seems like the, this tree ends up having to go through this for quite a long time. Wait till you hear this interpretation. Crazy stuff. But here's how Nebuchadnezzar finishes. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. Okay, so now there's multiple watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones to the end of the living may know that the most high God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Whoa, there's a purpose to this dream and these watchers that Nebuchadnezzar saw said, the purpose is this. The most high God will humble the proud. So he says, this dream, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. You know, I've thought, why didn't Nebuchadnezzar go straight to Daniel? Was Daniel caught up in business? Why did he go to his wise men first? And Boy, I tend to think sometimes we don't go to the people we know are going to tell us what we need to hear. We often like to go to the people who are going to tell us what we want to hear. Daniel's going to have to tell Nebuchadnezzar what he needs to hear. Can I encourage you? Young people, listen to me. The best kind of friend is not the friend that tells you what you want to hear. It's the friend who tells you what you need to hear. Pay attention to them. They most likely, truly, are your friends. Nebuchadnezzar is about to be told what he needs to hear. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while. He heard this dream and it, and it hit him hard. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. It, it seems that Nebuchadnezzar knew Daniel was kind of like, I got to tell him something. Whew, he's not going to want to hear and it seems like Nebuchadnezzar picked up on that and said, come on, there's going to be no punishment. Tell me what it means. So Belteshazzar said, my Lord, 
May the dream be for those who hate you. And it's interpretation for your enemies. Your enemies are going to love this. Oh man, this doesn't sound good. Daniel begins to speak of the dream. He says this, The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that it reached the top of the heavens and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Yeah whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. Yeah. The tree is you. O king, you have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominions to the end of the earth. You are great and you're mighty. You are the tree in your dream. Daniel continues. And because the king saw a watcher, yeah, yeah, I saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. In the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him? Yeah, what does that mean? What's that? Daniel says, this is the interpretation. O king, it is a decree of the most high God. You make decrees, the most high God has made a decree, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You will fall. Your kingdom is great now, but you will fall. The tree is a lesson. God is sovereign, which means he's in control of all things. He is sovereign over all the affairs of the world. He allowed you to be set up like a great king. He can also take you down. Daniel continued. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over till you know that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Wow. Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to fall. And not only are you going to fall, you're going to fall hard. You're going to be ruined. Daniel says... And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots. Yeah, what's that about? Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Wait a minute. I heard some hope. Left the stump. Didn't, didn't remove the stump, but put it around a band of iron. The idea here is the stump's remaining. If Nebuchadnezzar learns to honor the one true God, he can be restored. His kingdom could be restored. Therefore, O king, he says, hear my counsel. Be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities. That's, that's a word for sin. By showing mercy to the oppressed people in your kingdom that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. Listen, listen, break off your sins. Heed this warning. This is sage advice, if you will. 
break off your sins, practice holiness, show mercy to others. King, you're proud, and God has given you a dream to say, you continue this path, you're going to fall. Have you ever heard the phrase, timber? You ever hear that phrase? Why do people shout, timber? Why? why? Well, a tree is about to fall on you. Get out of the way, okay? That's the whole idea. I, I, I like to refer to it as the timber dynamic. Well, what's that? Those moments in our lives when we are warned of impending danger and are forced to react or be ruined. There's a story um, I heard of a father who was a missionary overseas, third world country, and his boy was out on a tree swinging on his swing that was attached to a branch. Now where they were in the country they were in, there was snakes that were referred to as boa constrictors. Kids, those are those huge, fat snakes that squeeze you. Well, the father was out back in the yard, glanced out and saw his son, and screamed to him, for he saw the boa constrictor wrapping around the branch above his son. And he yelled out, Drop! Run! And his boy dropped and ran. And just as he was running, that snake began to, to work its way down to attack the boy and did not get him. But the father said to the son, who once they were safely inside, he said, son, I'm so proud of you. If I would have yelled, drop, and you would have said, Why? If I would have yelled, drop and run, and you would have said, what for, Dad? You could have been wrapped up in that coil. But because you obeyed me, you trusted me, and when I yelled, drop, you heeded my advice immediately, and you were prevented from harm. That's the timber effect. That's the timber dynamic. And Scripture gives us Timber statements concerning pride. I'll, I'll give you just three. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty. Proverbs 18, 12. Timber! Don't get, don't get haughty. Don't, uh, look at me. Wow, woo, I am awesome. Before a downfall, you do that. Timber. God is opposed to the proud, James 4, 6. Do you know what God looks like visibly? If you're a proud person, you're staying here, I'm going to play God. Very bad illustration, but just stay with me. You're, you're, God is opposed to proud. Here's what it means to turn this back on. So there's a proud person. This is what God looks like. Not a good image, right? He is opposed to the proud. Don't get proud. Timber, timber. Pride leads to a disgrace. Proverbs 11.2. You want disgrace in your life? Pride will do that. Pride can bring about disgrace. There's a question we've been posing in previous sermon series at our church, and it's this. Would you rather be humbled or humiliated? 
Would you rather God yell, Timber? Or would you rather have the tree come crashing down on you in front of everyone? But, but, but here's why it's even more important. You're like, well, you know what? You know, I mean, yeah, sometimes I learn the hard way. Here's why it's so important to heed these timber moments in your life. Sometimes when your life falls, it crashes down on other people as well. Other people are impacted. And so the timber effect not only impacts you, it can smash down on other people's lives too. Nebuchadnezzar, if you fall, a lot of people are going to be damaged by it. And I believe that's why Daniel was truly dismayed when he heard this dream. Can I ask you a question? What do you need to break off now? Ask yourself this. What do I need to break off now before I crash down later? You know, Nebuchadnezzar was shown in the fantasies of his mind. You know a great way to check what you might need to break off? What do you fantasize about? What do you daydream about? Husband, is it another woman? Even if it's an image online? Timber! Student, is it cheating on the test so you get the grade? Is it plagiarizing a paper in college? Timber! Is it materialism? And collecting stuff and racking up incredible amounts of debt that you may never be able to pay back? Timber! What arena of life is most likely to take you down? You, you might look at something and go, there's no way I'm doing that. What arena of life could take you down? Wherever you feel that pride, that's most likely the spot. So chapter 4 now concludes with what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. Watch this. Timber. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. It seems like he may have heeded the call from Daniel to humble yourself for a year. I have concerns, folks, that just like 9-11, where the country came together and prayed, it didn't last that long till we got arrogant again. I pray that once we're beyond this, and I believe we will be beyond this, that we remember the lessons we're learning about how little of control we actually have. Let this humble us. But after 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar is back. Watch this. And the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Ugh. He's looking out. He's on his roof going, Look at Babylon. Look at me. I'm the greatest. And everybody knows it. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven out from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. 
and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven out. He was driven from among men, Scripture says, and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. That's why many believe this may have been not just months, but years. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar says this, lifted my eyes to the heaven, and my reason returned to me. So after this period of time, Nebuchadnezzar says, I, I was ruined. I was destroyed. But, but then my reason came to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him who lives forever for His dominion, His everlasting dominion. And his kingdom, he continues, endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. God, your God, I humble myself. I humble myself. Your God, not me. You're in control. And he had to be ruined before he would learn that lesson. That's the stubbornness and prideful will in Nebuchadnezzar. And sadly, in all of us. But I want you to note, if you feel ruined today, what turned it around? It was worship. His kingdom rules. He's the God. I'm just a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. He is God. And he does according to his will. God's in control. And those who are proud will be humbled. He even continues and finishes by saying, and none can say, none can stay his hand. Or say to him, what have you done? pointless questioning God. He doesn't answer to me, Nebuchadnezzar says. And I'm the king of kings. He don't answer to me. It's pointless questioning him. And at that time, that was the time my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and splendor, it returned to me. I was restored. When I bowed, when I worshipped, I was restored. And, and my kingdom was given back. My counselors and my Lord sought me. That's kind of a bummer. I'm sorry about that, Nebuchadnezzar. And I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right. And his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to. To humble. Wow. What an epic illustration of how pride comes before the fall, but also how humility can bring restoration. I think it's a great lesson for all of us who might feel like we could be ruined by this. We could also be exalted through this if we choose the path of humility and not the path of pride. You say, why, why is it that we have to be humbled? I mean, it, it feels like sometimes it's like, watch out, if you're prideful, you're going to get humbled. Is that God? Well, 
Folks, when God tells us not to do something, he's not just saying it because he needs you to do it. He's saying it because he loves you. Look, God is God despite what we think, despite what our questions are. And when we're humbled, we see him in all his glory as we put the focus on him. Folks, when God says don't do something, he's saying don't hurt yourself. God knows how terrible the effects and ramifications of a prideful life are. And that's why he warns us. He yells timber to say, don't choose the path of pride. Look, I want to give us five reasons God often allows ruin in our life to humble us and draw us closer to him. I think we need reason amid ruin. And I think we can learn from this. Because pride, pride's like a drug. It's, it's addictive. It impairs good judgment and it can lead to destruction. So how have you been responding to this latest crisis? With a prideful heart or with a humble heart? Well, let's kind of walk through these five and see here as we close today. One, pride brings defeat. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty. Uh, a haughty heart gets exposed and gets selfish amid ruin. It gets all focused on itself. A prideful heart in crisis will say, I got to protect me. I, I, I got to focus on me. We got to put the foot, serve me, serve me. Gets real selfish in crisis and in ruin and says things like, what about me? But you know what? God's the God of the second line. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but... Humility comes before honor, Proverbs 18, 12. See, a prideful heart brings defeat. A humble heart brings honor. Yeah, when humility goes through ruin, it gets real selfless. It, it says things like, we got to protect them. We, we got to focus on other people. We, we got to serve other people during this time. See, humility gets selfless amid ruin. Humility gets selfless amid crisis. And says things like, hey, what about them? Here's the second, second thing. God knows this. Pride brings humiliation. Luke 14, 11, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Timber. When pride goes through crisis, it gets real independent. It says things like, I know what I'll do. Hey, this is what the experts say. Hey, I'm an expert in this area. Or, oh, I have the remedy. See, see, a prideful heart gets real independent during crisis. I know what I'll do. Do you? Does anyone? I hear a lot of experts right now, and they change their minds every day. See, that's what pride does. And pride often gets humiliated during those times because it gets real independent but God's the God of the second line. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be the ones who are exalted. Yeah, that's right. Humility brings blessing. Why? Because humility, when it faces ruin, it gets real dependent, not independent. It says, God, what do we do? It says, God, we need you. You're the only expert. God, God, you have the remedy. You see, humility 
gets real dependent in time of crisis and says, I know God knows what to do. I will turn to him. And God exalts that. God blesses that. Here's the third. God knows amidst ruin, if we're prideful, it'll bring mockery. Proverbs 3.34, the Lord mocks proud mockers. You ever notice that pride, when it's in a time of crisis, gets real scornful? It says things like, where's God now? It says things like, why would God do this to us if he's so great? Pride gets scornful amid ruin. It says, where's God now? Because pride only looks at circumstances. But God's a God of a second line. The Lord mocks proud mockers, but he shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Proverbs 3.34. See, pride brings mockery, but humility brings favor. Even amidst ruin, humility will worship. We trust you, God. Even though this hurts. We know you want us to learn something from this God. And so we humble ourselves before you, mighty God. What do you have for us? See, humility worships in crisis. It doesn't mock. It doesn't say, where's God? It says, what God? What do you want for us to learn? And then the fourth. God knows. Pride brings conflict. It's not good. It's not good for us. God opposes the proud, James 4, 6 says. See, when pride gets into crisis, it gets real stubborn. Pride says, God is cruel. I'm done with God if this is the way he's going to be. Because crisis and ruin starts to try to change us and the stubborn life says I will not change I won't change see pride gets in conflict with God and that's why God says God is opposed to the proud but pride doesn't have to be the only path through this God's the God of the second line God opposes the proud but but he gives grace to the humble James 4 6 grace unmerited favor God treating us in ways we don't deserve. See, God knows pride will bring conflict. But God knows also that humility brings grace. It's one of the reasons he allows ruin in our life. Because when we are humble, we receive grace. And that's why humility, even in crisis, can have peace amid the ruin. Peace with God. See, humility, it doesn't blame God or yell at God. Humility blames sin for the crisis. Humility blames sin for the suffering. For that's where this comes from. Humility, trust God, has a perfect plan even amidst ruin. And receives grace. And that grace is often in the form of peace that passes all understanding. The prideful heart amid ruin says, I won't change. The humble heart says, change me, God. And then fifth, God allows ruin sometimes and God humbles us sometimes because he knows what pride will do. It will bring folly. Folly. 
Pride leads to disgrace and disgraceful behavior. Proverbs 11, 12, 11, 2, excuse me. Pride in times of ruin starts to mope. It starts to walk around talking about all the things it lost because it feels it is owed something. I, would, I deserved that. Pride walks around in defeat and despair. It feels hopeless. See, pride mopes in times of crisis. Poor me. Poor me. But God's a God of a second line. Pride leads to disgrace. But, but, with humility comes wisdom. Don't you want wisdom during this time? That's what humility does. Humility brings wisdom even amidst ruin and that's why humility rejoices doesn't mope it rejoices even amid ruin now are we happy not necessarily happiness is based on our happenings joy is based on a confident trust in who God is despite our circumstances humility doesn't dwell on what they've lost humility dwells on what they're going to gain through this humility doesn't walk around moping in despair. Humility walks in victory knowing God's going to use this in some way. Humility rejoices even in crisis, even amid ruin, and says, I'll praise you even in this storm. Five things, reason amid ruin. Here they are. Five reasons God allows ruin sometimes so that we don't walk the path of pride. Humility will bring honor. Humility will bring blessing. Humility will bring favor. Humility will bring grace. Humility will bring wisdom. Don't you want that during this time? Even when it feels like ruin is all around us, God can work and put back together these pieces of your life folks I want to leave you with a prayer today as I've been looking through the scripture during this time and I've been trying to get some reason amid ruin a verse has come and, and really spoken to me during this time and it's first Peter 5 6 and 7 it says this humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your cares upon him. Because God cares for you. In this time, he cares for you, and he wants you to cast all your cares upon him. He wants to. He wants to rebuild your life. He wants to take those broken pieces, that ruin that you feel is impending, and he wants to put it back together. But you're going to have to give each one of your cares to him, and you're going to have to give them to him. And sometimes you're going to say, but God, what about the house? Give me that care. God, God, what about, what about my job? My job, God, God, give me that care. Give me that care. God, God, I was hoping to graduate with my friends, and, and that's being threatened now. I don't even know if I'll graduate. Give me that care. Cast all your cares. I can rebuild. I can take what was ruined and put it back together. Because I care for you. Church, let's not just 
resolve ourselves that this is going to go on and on and on and more people are going to lose their lives more people are going to get sick let's instead get on our knees and let's pray let's humble ourselves under God's mighty hand church that he might lift us up let's cast this care on him God we want to get back we we want to change and we want to learn from this but we want to get back so in the beginning of this sermon I promised you six things that we can be doing to have reason amid ruin. The sixth is prayer. I've written out a prayer for us that I want us to all be praying until we return back together in this room. Listen to this prayer. Lord, I know you desire humility. Forgive me of any pride that you see within me. Use this trial to humble our world, our nation, our leaders, even your church, and especially me. Lord, I know you are good. I boldly ask in the name of Jesus Christ for you to remove this disease and heal our desperate land. Lord, I know you are merciful. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. May your church trust you to take what the enemy intended for evil and turn it for our good. Amen. Let's be praying that, church. Let's be on our knees praying that prayer. You'll be able to get that prayer on our social media platforms. We'll put it out there. Let's be praying on bended knee, the most humble position we can take in prayer. God, I just lift up everyone listening today. I pray that you would use this time where many of us even fear ruin will be a word that might win the day. I pray instead we'd walk in victory, humbling ourselves, that you might lift us up in due time. God, I pray if there's anyone out there who does not know the Lord as their Savior, and they feel fear and they feel anxiety during this time, may they cast that care upon you by receiving you as their personal Savior. Lord, your scripture says that you so loved the world, you gave your only begotten son, that whoever believes in you should not perish, but have everlasting life. They can know right there in their home today that if they call upon the name of the Lord, confessing with their mouth and believing in their heart that Jesus is Lord, they can be saved. Lord, they can be forgiven of their sin. They can humble themselves so that you might call them your child and exalt them into that wonderful position. I pray even today someone prays the prayer of salvation. But for all of us who know you as our Savior, Lord, may we humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And even though sin and suffering are in this world, we will have trouble. We can take heart because you've overcome it. God, in this crisis, in this time of possible ruin, may we humbly come before you in prayer. Amen. God bless you. We miss you. Look forward to seeing you back in this place. Until then, reason amid ruin.